All right. Welcome. It's Politics and Parenting. It's John Beatty. It's Jeff Mayhew, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm good. I've, I Just before we begin, we got a shout out kind of tangentially on the, the editor's podcast, the National Review House, because someone made an offhanded comment about expanding the house. So I feel like there's momentum here. Oh, yeah. You would get uh, real traction. I don't want I don't want to take the thunder away because we've got a couple of special guests this evening. That's right. So uh, today's podcast is a little bit different. Uh, it won't be just John and I. It will be um, leadership team from our Madisonian Republican group. So we're organizing local here in the community. And we figured we'd have a record, excuse me, record our uh, leadership meeting for full transparency of what everybody in our community knows what our objectives and goals are and what we're trying to do. Um, so let's get everybody introduced. Um, Craig, you want to go first? Do I want to? No, but I will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'm Craig Stewart. Uh, I've been uh, in the area for a little while working on some community organization here or there, and I finally landed uh, here with Jeff and John, and I like what they have to say, and I want to give my input. So, John or Phil? Or Dan, Dan, sorry. <laughs> You're good. I'll, I'll take it. So Philip Borbitz. Um, ben, uh, I guess, I don't know, Craig's at the bar here, but um, yeah, I'm a political junkie here in a way, um, mostly philosophy side of things. Um, just got involved. Jeff invited me to the group, um, super involved locally. Since no other really political group I've chatted with really had interest to jump in. So having kind of a person I know to invite me um was great so i'm here and i'm daniel Beatty. i'm john's younger brother uh, i helped out on his campaign um and after uh yeah after the pr primary election is when he told me about jeff's ideas and the madisonian republicans and so i've been coming to the meetings um and trying to help come up with ideas uh, and and to try to understand some of the problems we're facing so uh, we have a few more people <clears throat> that's either on leadership or in the process of growing our leadership. Um, I've also got a couple of meetings with uh, some people at local universities, try to set up chapters there as well, um, or at least engage them about setting up chapters. <laughs> Maybe they don't, they're not ready, but we'll try to convince them that this is the, the right way to go. Um, so let's get into our, uh, our planning meeting, what I'm thinking, guys. So I sent you guys Google Docs. Um, and let me pull up mine here. So um, what I am kind of uh, calling our movement here is like a blend of Republican virtue with American populism. Um, John, what do you what do you think when you hear that? Um, <clears throat> the virtue aspect is always. I think the, the most interesting part for me, because, um, you know, coming out of the constitutional convention, someone asked Ben Franklin, uh, what do we have? And he said, it, we are a republic if you can keep it. Um, and I feel like so much of that keeping aspect is something that our parents have kind of tried to pass on to us and our grandparents. And, and uh, it's something we have to pass on to our children of, of the importance of, of uh, 
civic virtues of patriotism of of social virtues of of um trying to work together to create a, a more perfect union um and i think that's that's an important part to it but i and i think the populism aspect is the aspect of um trying to bring as many people along with it like it's not something for just one strata of society it's something for everyone um and i think it's it's trying to inculcate uh, everyone with those virtues that make uh, our republic so great and so unique um and so i think that's that's what it means to me yeah i mean uh for me and what i was trying to build and what i'm thinking here is going back to like the way we originated as far as structure like structuring power um structuring economy as as well um which was that you know pushing the the responsibility down to the citizen essentially as close to the citizen as possible so whoever holds that power can be held accountable and i think that's really our republican virtue like that's what we were uh decentralize it yes um that's what we were founded on and then uh you know our country kind of got off kilter in my opinion starting around the jackson administration and that was because of this like american populism that was born that was supposed to be like for the people but eventually you know, it got corrupted with the slavery argument. And then it got, you know, the whole populism movements after the Civil War kind of consolidated power in a lot of in a lot of aspects, economic power, federal power. And they weren't really populist movements because a populist movement, as I put out a definition, as I sent you guys earlier on our group thread, is it's a movement that's supposed to be for the people. And if you're moving power away from the people, even if you're lifting up the people's lives for one generation or two generations, it's not actually like a real, you know, it's, it's not for the people at that point. It's temporary um, because after that, those couple generations pass on, then think all the problems that are caused by it gets passed on to the, to the people. And that's not good. So, you know, I think that that's, if we blend those ideas of like selling you know, putting in a little work in your government, right? Being involved, um, understanding what's going on, but also breaking down the structure and making it smaller, you know, so people can actually have a say. That's what I was, mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking. You guys want to jump in at all? Yeah, I was going to jump in real quick, just to uh, compliment what you said right there, to take uh, some pulp culture, Nicolas Cage in uh, National Treasure was actually right. in the, the one scene where he says, um, the Lincoln era in Civil War and after is when you see the conversation, the, the language change from the United States are to the United States is. You lose that um, each state's its own sovereign, you know, government in its own way, and then we we go towards the federal power. Um, so that's an important thing in a history that that's you can see that shift right in that time frame. Yeah, big time. And it was it was almost necessary in order to like bind this bind the country and like save it together. But, you know, the problem with our system is we like make everything permanent. It's never temporary. You know, it's it's one of my big arguments with corporations. They were supposed to be limited, but, you know, now they're forever and <laughs> that makes it them difficult to stop. <laughs> but uh let's see. So, uh we're going to that's like our overall goal of like what do we stand for? We stand for, you know, I think John said it on our first debate is pushing the power as close down to the people as possible, <laughs> you know, and that was what, what drew me into him. And that's kind of where our, our goals are. 
So legislatively, um, we're looking to uncap the House, pa uh, pass campaign finance law, and uh, that overrules Citizens United. Um, we want to work with our community. We want this to be a community movement built here. It's not supposed to grow nationally or rapidly. Um, the goal is to teach people, you know, about the government, what's going on, let them get involved, um, have a say, have a voice um, in that way, and then just record it, uh, give out the notes, open source code, you know, let other communities see what we're doing and lift up other leaders as well. Um, we have, uh, we got a lot of work to do to, to, to get that on and we need to, you know, start to divvy it up, but we also start to have to, we also have to start to grow our community circle as well, um, which I've been working on outside of here. And the, the key reason, like those key objectives to uncap the house and to pass campaign finance law, that's in service of trying to get people more engaged. Cause as you and I discovered through our running for the, the congressional campaign, um, so many people, just think it's impossible. Um, and it, it, in a certain sense, it is because you need to raise. Unfortunately, it seems like you have to raise a lot of money. But you know, you and I have, you've, th you've thought it, you had this idea, and I have, I've latched onto it where if we expand the house, so we expand representation, and make it proportional, um, that's going to get allow people to get engaged and allow people to run for it. And if we can fix how money is able to be used, and you know, I think you and I would say, not getting rid of it, but just making sure that it's not the, the end all be all of a campaign where um, your success in the primary isn't uh, how much money you can raise, but what your ideas are and what you might bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we, we can be creative. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, you can't do those things. You can't do those things. But I mean, where every problem, there's a solution, right? <laughs> you know, like poke holes in it. Sure. But you know, find a way to patch them as well, you know, and we, and we can work, work around that. Um, I think there's clever ways that we can avoid or to fundraise or at least agitate the powers that be. So maybe we can uh, make them change the rules, you know, one way or another. Um, but I think most importantly, like the way that we compete is we just have better ideas, right? Like we just have better ideas. We fine tune the ideas. Um, and then we are able to communicate them to our community, because your ideas don't mean anything if you can't get people to believe in them. And instead of trying to take a national approach where we're like going big, you know, we just literal just one small group uh, grassroots network and just see what one uh, group can grow. And then, like I said, just share it with people. Um, so let me pull that doc back up. So I got 10 things on here that I just want. I want to put out there, you know, it's for, for people to understand like what I'm thinking long-term and we'll kind of go into it throughout the night. Um, one, you know, what are we really doing here? Uh, we're building a relationship with our community. Um, we're two, we're training leaders, candidates, and volunteers. Three, we're building a strong community fundraising mechanism. We'll discuss ideas about that later. Four, we're going to compete with the local parties for power. Um, we're going to make people you know, hold, we're going to hold somebody accountable, right? Number five, we're going to use our power to endorse local candidates. Um, and if this works, you know, this, you know, these five things uh, in the upcoming election and whatnot, we'll be able to potentially do something bigger. Um, and by bigger, you know, I would, uh, I'd try to maybe get somebody to run for Congress, uh, get somebody to run for Senate. Um, we get somebody to 
run for Speaker of the House. We work together to really oust every House member that's been in the House for over 12 years. We do uh, campaign finance reform and term limits. And then, you know, we go home and we live regular lives with our families. Um, it's, you know, large scale and there's a lot of steps involved. But, you know, so many times when I listen to politicians, they're talking about what they want to do. Right. And but we'll, they're not really telling us the truth. Where are their real ambitions? I think one of the things from the last election was Glenn Youngkin's out there campaigning everywhere in the world and everybody knew he wants to be president. Just tell us you want to be president. Just be honest with us, right? So I found it really important to just get that out and be like, hey, this is what we want to do over time, or at least what I'm thinking. Um, so guys, you want to jump in here on anything? No? All right. Yeah, I mean, I would say my first thought is, um, a little more selective on kicking other folks out of office who've been there more than 12 years. We like some of that. <laughs> I can you count have, on one have, hand. I can count have. on one hand, but let's not kick everybody out. <laughs> well, so, no, that's been in the, well, not over, look, this is over the course, of, I wrote on here, over the course of 12 years, not just you know, in, in one year. But realistically, what I'm thinking is, like, we just need a new generation of leadership. Um it's it's one of the most important things that we have to focus on is just getting good leadership. And that's at the state and the federal level, realistically. And, you know, if we build this organization out and we can teach other communities to replicate it, I think it's doable. Um, so. Yeah, Phil, I had the same, I mean, I, I have had the same thought. Like, I, I love that John Adams, after the presidency, went back to the House of Representatives. Um, and I, I don't think he would have hit the 12-year limit, if I, if I recall correctly. But like the idea that that great people still feel called to serve and to show back up like i i that's i'm always hesitant to kind of put term limits on that but the kind of counterfactual to sort of let's let the best people be in the office is florida's legislature and they've got term limits on everything and i think they're one of the few states with no income tax a balanced budget and the one the one problem with having people in there for a long time is they get really good at the system rather than governing and so they know where the the, the levers are i mean you look at nancy pelosi the reason she has been so successful as the Democratic leader is because she can pull in gobs and gobs of cash. And the reason Kevin McCarthy is, go is has a chance to be Speaker of the House is because he too can pull in gobs and gobs of cash when, um, you know, I don't think either of them ha necessarily has a signature legislative win to their to their name. So I think um, in the ideal world that like our founding fathers had, like, I think there's no need for term limits, but in our uh, ugly world of of politics as it is and, and humans being humans i think having term limits is kind of an it's just something it's just a guardrail to kind of keep things cycling and um you know keep things fresh yeah well, yeah no totally agree like to, to clarify i'm not saying i'm against term limits i love term limits um, it makes people live under the laws policies they enact mm -hmm. um for one I just, I don't want to kick him out right now. We we need, you know, as Craig put it in the chat, we need a Rand Paul, right? He's pro term limits. We need a senator on our side for this project, this uh, effort, um, yeah. for sure. Well, so and then also, I'm definitely in favor of kicking out all these old boomers running the place into the damn ground. Uh, they need to go. That's for sure. So let's turn, yeah, I'm happy turning it over for sure. Yeah. Well, in, in sp specifically, we would actually, the idea right now would be to leave the Senate alone as far as like, having some lifers in the Senate is okay. And it would, we would focus more on the house. 
Um, so, so Rand would be safe either way, right? <laughs> <laughs> Unless his neighbor gets on him again, but yeah, poor guy. Yeah, no, I'm down with that. And to add to our list of future things, maybe you need to add term limits to judges as well. They should not be lifers, maybe long-term. I don't mind giving them, you know, 10, 15 years, but they shouldn't be a lifer federal judges. Definitely yeah. Not. So the judiciary is something that we really got to dig into. Um, we'll have to get through that. I think I have a couple notes on that uh, yep. for the meetings, but Craig, you were going to say something. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask John, if you know, uh, in Florida, do they allow lobbying at a state level? I don't know, but I would assume that there's some kind of lobbying because um, there's, there's big powerful in industries. I mean, agriculture is big. Um, yeah, the, the reason why I ask, I think they had something back in 2020, potentially limiting, if not banning lobbying. And, and the reason why I bring it up is my fear, and I can't remember where, um, where I heard it first and kind of started agreeing with it, is if you implement term limits in the House of Reps at a federal level, all you're going to do, or for the most part, all you're going to do is get all these people that are there for three or four terms instead of seven, eight, nine, and then they're going to go lobby. And the lobbying system is just going to get out of hand again. Well, more. Remember, we're, you know, and again, this is like the poke holes in something and then we got to fix it, right? Well, you know, campaign finance is a problem. Lobbying is a problem. This is something that like, you know, the goal is, is to educate a generation of voters and leaders that understand these issues so they can actually make these changes, you know, fairly quickly. You know, the Republican system of government with two years, every House rep is up every two years, gives us this ability if we can basically, you know, make our, our little business that we're creating here successful and other people copy it, you know. <laughs> So uh, let's see, let's organizationally. I put, I, well, Jeff, actually, can I just yeah, put a ahead. little uh, note on lobbying? Like, I think the lobbying is interesting because at the, at the end of the day, it's people coming to their representative and saying, I'd like you to do something. And, and I can think of like being on the school board, like parents have been lobbying about certain issues, like right now where there's an attendance zone. And so they band together and they sort of lobby about particular issues. So the challenge, I, I think this is where lobbying has sort of maybe multiple definitions to the, that people want. And I think the, the, the bad part about lobbying is where it's people come in and sort of do a congressman's job where they buy access through donations and then they hand them a bill they want them to submit. And then the congressman just takes that word doc and sends it into the clerk. And you can see in the word doc metadata that it was written by the lobbyist. Like, I think that's, that's the bad part about it. It's the, the good part about lobbying is where you go to your representative and you say, Hey, I don't think you should do this change or you should make this change. You know, these are reasons X, Y, and Z. So um, I think it's really, it's that kind of uh, cash for access. And then it's the the fact that the representatives don't do their work. And I think a solution to that, you know, you could, um, it, it is sort of by being a former rep, you get access. But really, if you're cycling through representatives because people are unhappy with them, because it's easier for people to to show their will, like I think that would fix that problem more than, um, as long with with term limits and uncapping the house yeah uncapping the house, yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think more where i was going with that is like lobbying from like 
people that were reps or staff in Congress that then become lobbyists who have direct access uh, to those folks instead of going through the. Uh-oh. We lost you. You there, Craig? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Um, lobbying from... Um, where where did you lose me? you you know yeah you're right former reps with direct access with connections like you know nancy pelosi's chief of staff goes on to a lobbying firm because he knows where all the skeletons are buried and he can he can find ways to get votes no i, I completely agree with that i i think you know like his lobbying in and of itself is kind of a generic term that um has good good and bad aspects to it but yeah <clears throat> all right let's get to some like so I consider this like the boring stuff that we have to do in the group because I'm much more just like want to read and uh, like talk politics and policy. But the thing is, is if we if if we have something valuable to say, which is the goal, we have to get people to hear us. So we have to build an organization where they can. What I, I try to explain to people is like what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a microphone. OK, and a grassroots political microphone. Um, so. We need to collect and organize contact information. I've got lots of emails and text messages, uh, phone numbers from people that, you know, are interested. Um, we need to design literature. We need uh, a call list, call list put together so we can uh, uh, make phone calls. I know my wife will help out with that. Um, I don't know if anybody else wants to take on that too, to literally call people individually and invite them to our meetings. Um, we need to get our website up with an event page so people can register to our future meetings. Um, it'd be nice to find somebody in the community that wants to be part of the community circle that would be maybe an event coordinator, social media manager, um, maybe even bring one of them on on the full-time leadership team. And then, um, you know, at some point in time, I think we need to find a way to monetize the Substack. Um and find a way to fundraise creatively so we can compete. Um, I think what I tell my wife the most that I need is time. And unfortunately, the only way to get time is to buy it. <laughs> so we need to find a way to do that because um, that's what the rest, that's what they do. Um, who wants to take on? Have you made uh, Uncap the House t-shirts yet? I've made, some, I've made some yeah, I'm sure you have. t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> uh, a, a great start. That'll well, start and, some rolling. And now the, 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 what you first said reminds me, I think it sounds like you're describing like a CRM tool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I yeah. need... Go ahead, Scrooge. I was just going to say, there, there's a few of those. Uh, I know there's a couple that are freeware, uh, but then you have to kind of build on top of it a little bit, like Mastodon. Um, but for CRM, not for Twitter, right? Um, that there's a few, uh, that I've heard from. So, so, uh, who wants to like take that on and like do some of that work for me? Cause I just can't handle doing all the work anymore. That's what I got a leadership team for to help me out. <laughs> Let's, we got to, this is Republican government. We divide the responsibility amongst the people. <laughs> so. I, I will say from all the free ones that I've seen to, to do something like what you're talking about, Jeff, where we need to schedule everything in one centralized location. We don't well have to centralize it. It can be decentralized. I'm just saying the work I, needs to be done. Let's figure the, out how the to get calendar done. needs to be centralized <laughs> from all the different folks. And then yeah. it, like a Google calendar, but through something a little bit more intuitive than Google. 
Um, but the, the, the concern there is if we go with the free option, uh, from what I've seen, generally speaking, um, you're going to have to find someone that understands how to build on top of that to make it what we want, as opposed to something like, I think Proton uh, Mail has CRM tools and there's some other ones out there. So I can, uh, I've been kind of thinking of cooking up this idea of repurposing my campaign website and trying to like actually productize it. So I think this would fit within that talking about building up corporations and stuff. So I'm happy to kind of keep working on that angle. Like I, uh, we kind of have a web, website, but we haven't really done anything with it. Um, and I think at this point, I want to go back to the drawing board and like my, my campaign website is that CMS that um, our CRM kind of tool. Um, and we can probably drop some events and things in there. Um, like that's something I want to add. So, and you can even handle donations and whatnot. So um, if you're cool with that, I can keep working on that angle. Yeah. So I think we need to, we need to get the website and stuff up realistically as, as soon as possible. We want to start meetings in January. Um, I put a list of the meetings on one of those pages. Um, we need to, you know, be able to market and and get people in the seats. I have people all the time in the community. They're coming up to me saying, Jeff, I'm reading your Substack. I'm listening to your podcast and they want to know what they can do to help. Right. And that's what, that's what our goal is. You know, that's what the the parties don't realize is that people want to actually help. And when you go to the party that all they do is ask for your money and tell you to door knock and people are capable of so much more. So, you know, our whole goal is just to give them a chance, you know, and if you really want to help, you got to come in for some training. That's what the meetings are. So, uh, you know, we got to get the, get the website out. Uh, you know, somebody need, we need to start a Facebook page. We need to start a, a I think I have a Twitter, but I, I haven't done anything with it, but we, and we need to get those things going. And I'm hoping that you guys can, you know, take on a little bit of that and get it up and going before, uh, so, Next couple I, weeks. I think I, that's a good point, Jeff. I, I, I think the first question is who has a Facebook and who has a Twitter? <laughs> because I don't. Well, I mean, you don't, but here's the thing like the people that we're trying to reach do, and we need to be able to communicate through where they are listening. Um, I think, as far as like a community aspect, I found that Facebook might be the most or the best option for us. Um, a lot of the people that I connect with in the community are using Facebook and yeah. you know, there's a, a little circle there. You know, I talked about working with a community group to shoot a commercial and to advertise it. And the goal would be to circumvent the algorithms, just get a whole bunch of people from the community sharing it at the same, you know, over and over again inside of their circle and you get the people knowing about it. So, uh, whether so, you're on or not, you know, we have, so to I have those. Okay, there you go. I, I guess where I'm really going with that, Jeff, is unless someone uses their personal account to then create the Facebook page or what have you, uh, we'll end up having to create a dedicated email. Uh, no, no, it's actually you can you can set up a page and then you can add people to it. You don't have to do emails and stuff like that. That's it's actually they've done a lot of work to streamline it. Um, the only weird thing with like political pages is you have to go through some verification process because they want to prove that you're not a Russian bot. Um, so like I had to get a piece of mail with a code that I then had to enter into a website in order to prove that I was an actual person had a real address. But so, I mean, like I've, I've got that verification on my account and I, I like with the two factor that set up. Um, so that's, we could, we could piggy bang off of that too. Okay. So I guess the follow up there is 
John, let's say for some reason you leave five years from now, right? Um, is it possible to remove a person that's created the page then? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. You just, so we'll have to, what ideally we'd have a bunch of people associated with the page that can post and we can manage it. Um, and then it, if someone has to leave for whatever reason, you've got someone else to back up with that. So, cause the page is kind of its own object and then it's sort of people manage that page, uh, but so, you can, you can roll people on and off. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure uh, that, mm -hmm. that we're covering bases or thinking about the bases to cover when you do that. Spoken like a person who works with uh, the need for redundancy. and. <clears throat> so does anybody have any ideas of how we can, uh, you know, other things that we might need as an organization uh, we need to be focused on or to market uh, with? Uh, so I see you've got design literature. What are you thinking with that? So uh, design literature, I mean, I think what we need to do, create a, a short little mission statement, um, put something, you know, the literature will design specifically for each meeting, right, to go along with the meeting, like handouts and stuff. Um, and then also we need to get something that we hand out for advertising, you know, little cards and stuff like that with the like the meeting schedule and the location and stuff like that. And I can I can take the lead on all the design stuff. We just need to write it, you know, realistically. See, that would be a good thing for like uh, you new guys because uh, you know you could talk about like what what drew you into this organization. That'd be something like um, it was something for each meeting. Like it would be different every week, um, but it's all kind of has to do with our central message. Well, yeah, and then like for for the meetings for each week, I mean, you know, something that the the person can take away, and also helps like organize their thoughts as they're going through, um, you know, because uh, it's a lot of information realistically, and you know, especially at that first meeting, somebody's going to walk in and they're going to walk out and they're going to be like, oh my gosh. But I think that over time, it it won't be that that uh, that difficult, and those little handouts as they start to compile on their desk throughout, you know, throughout the year, they'll start to make more and more sense. I actually do that with my church handouts. I keep track of them and I hold them as like notes. Um, they're really good. And then like when I'm trying to remember something that there was a message there, I've got it, I can reference it. And then in the future, I've got all this new foundational knowledge that I've gained that means a little bit more to me than that. And it's kind of the idea of, you know, what we would do going out. Uh, so here's my meeting topics for 2023. What I came up with, you guys jump in, tell me what you think. Um, January, we've got, who are we, how our government was formed, February, how the Republic works, March, government and communication, April, the sphere of power, May, the history of limited government. Um, so that's the first section that I've written. What do you guys think? It's good. It's kind of a recap of what we did last year, but that means we have more time to practice. Well, and that was kind of the idea is, you know, in, in my head, at least when we were working on those was like this, that was the beta run. I wanted to like see how to run a meeting and see how to do it in, in, a, in front of a small group before we went, you know, on a bigger scale. I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of the community. I wanted to be prepared. So um, those first few meetings, like we've already done those meetings, John, they should be cake. Um, but we need to 
you know, like I said, get better literature, have takeaway handouts for people to take away and just fine tune, you know, fine tune it. So. Uh, Jeff, uh, how long were these meetings you were looking at? Are they an hour long, two hours long? So that's, minutes? what do you, what do you guys think? I mean, I'm a long form type of guy. I can sit for two hours and do a meeting. It doesn't bother me, but I understand like not everybody's like me. So we have to find some sort of compromise. My thought was, is um, if, if we make, if we, if we're going to do a longer meeting, we have to provide and make sure that it's comfortable and it's not too wordy. Um, otherwise we have to make sure we keep the meeting short and sweet. Well, I mean, I, think I, that comes to, I, think, I would say if we could set an agenda for the meeting and kind of see how much time we think. I, I don't mind even going one hour, one one month, two hours on a month, depending on the topics. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, that's how I would prefer to do it. I would do an agenda. And I have agendas for some of these meetings already written out that, uh, like I said, we just need to fine tune. And I found that my goal was to do two hours. And I found that even with questions and stuff, we always ended up uh, doing ending early now with a larger group we'll have to maybe not do as many questions we'll have to do a pre-sign up for questions or something because that'll be a little bit more difficult um, but I think if we do two hours and with a goal of finishing in an hour and a half is always good uh, personally that was that was always my my goal for the uh, Madisonian meetings and to follow up on that Jeff are we including in that two hours like 15 minutes to socialize with the fellow attendees to help build that community? So realistically, I would say 30, right? So if, if it's a two hour meeting, our goal would be to finish the, the meeting in um, an hour and 30 minutes. We get 15 minutes to socialize before, 15 minutes to socialize afterwards. Yeah, or even if it's if it's an hour meeting, it's and 15 minutes beforehand and then, you know, half an hour to 45 minutes of kind of talking about it afterwards, yeah one by one i mean that was kind of the mo more enjoyable that was an enjoyable part of our meetings this past year was talking about what we talked about with other people in a right. low pressure situation yeah. yeah i totally agree i haven't having that time after was great um so i guess i guess my suggestion would be keep it similar structure you know jeff you were john do kind of an intro here's a topic here's what we're talking about I, I love to have like a Q&A or feedback from the, the audience to see what their what their concerns are, what they want to talk about. Um, I think that's to keep that as part of the meeting, not just an unofficial before and after chat. Kind well, of that, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think we could totally do that. So I think that realistically, we could get the the lesson done in about an hour. We can give a 15 minute um, socializing at the beginning and the end. And then we can give a 30 minute question, you know, where, yeah. you know, people can have an opportunity to question. And I would say you give that 30 minutes at the end of the, the end of the lesson. And that way, you know, if there's questions they have to go through, but they can also, they don't have to ask about that. They can just, Hey, this is what's going on in my community. This is what I want to talk about, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. Uh, something else I'll bring up food for thought. I don't know if we have that data uh, already compiled. I doubt we do. Um, when we look at the like target audience for folks that are joining on those meetings, uh, it'd be good to know what that target audience is or the, the core group so that we can cater to that time timeframe, um, whether it's the time of day and the amount of time, 
right? If uh, a lot of this is geared towards parents, for instance, two hours is a lot sometimes, uh, especially on a weekly or monthly basis um, or biweekly basis, not monthly. So just more food for, uh, more food yeah. for thought. I, I agree. It's really hard with kids to get to these type of meetings. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that what we have to do is we have to convince people that they have to prioritize this. Um, they have to prioritize understanding what's going on with their world so they can leave a successful, you know, government for their children. Um, you know, I think a lot of parents are out there they're working hard to try to make sure that they're saving and financially secure. They can pay for their kids' education, but all that stuff kind of goes away if the government doesn't, you know, if the republic isn't repaired and and it doesn't keep on. So I think that's important to uh, encourage people. You know, it's about civic duty, realistically. Yeah, it's like a, a, a hidden assumption or something. Like I'm. You know, the America dream is leaving a world better for for your children than what you had. But the uh, underlying premise of that is that there is something that's kind of keeping things in order. Um, and that's what we're trying to do is keep keep things in order so that life can go on and can get better. It, it's that Republican virtue that you have the opportunity mm -hmm. to build opportunity for yourself and for your family and you can govern yourself um, and that there's no power that can stop you realistically. And, uh, you know, we just got to bring that back. All right. So I had some ideas here, guys, on, um, on the economy. Did you guys like that? I'll let uh, um, Craig take that one. You had to yeah, go ahead, Craig. Craig you, you go first, and I'll, I'll check. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I guess my biggest concern with what you had written there is actually, uh, can we, Jeff? What did you write just for the the audience? Oh, okay, yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay, so well, I'm not going to go through the. I introduced the possibility of you know uh, new digital currencies issued by the states um, as a way to basically stabilize our economy through competition um, and also help fund the new service industry of where we're moving in our economy. I mean, we, we just came out of consumerism that was built um, by the industrial age in the machinery and the big finance, you know, helped do that. And I think you need to kind of reverse engineer that for where we're going. Um, we had, you know, we, I don't think I don't think Americans are as consumed with buying products anymore. I think they're more concerned with, you know, going to the gym and eating better and getting a nutritionist and finding expertise and you know, where the railroads and machinery helped, you know, connect consumers and products and drive down prices so all of America could own, you know, property essentially. Um I think the digital world has done the same thing. They can bring the experts to the people. And you just need a way to fund those small businesses inside the communities. And I think, um, you know, our economy is shifting. We need uh, we need more competition in the marketplace. And I think we're moving towards a digital digital currency and blockchain technology. So I think the states should um, they should get ahead of it. They should start issuing it out um, currencies, kind of basically working through the bugs. And over time, we will eventually consolidate into fewer than 50 uh, digital currencies, as Craig is concerned about. Um, but the, you know, 
and there there has to be some sort of exchange network. Um, and because it's digital, I think it might be easier than what we dealt with with the Articles of Confederation and moving money around. Um, I think we're just in a different ballpark at this this stage of the game. We have a lot more technology. Yeah, I I I, I see where you're headed with it, Jeff, and I I want to agree, but. I, I think what you're going to find is if you have 50 different or up to 50 different currencies all running uh, in the United States, that it's going to present problems um, without some sort of uh, bigger structure above it, right? So what would these state-issued um, currencies actually roll up to? Would it be Bitcoin or some other a digital currency ran by a uh, by by the the federal government, for instance. No, so I don't want the federal government involved at all. Um, It'll all go to gold. That's what he's so, looking for. Great. You know, I mean, the, the goal would be the goal would be, you know think about it like what corporations used to be like. Um, they were limited. They were issued by the state. So the the idea would be that the state is going to issue out you know um, this or work with a private company and and you know somebody's got to develop something inside the state in order to do it right so you're not going to get 50 all at once somebody's got to come up with an idea and the state has got and they basically compete for the rights for the corporation inside the state and then they unload that currency and it's funded by people in the state that want to um want to want to do this new thing realistically and they they see an opportunity for for growth in it and you know that's pretty much how all business is made so is the idea that the state would adopt its own digital currency whether it makes its own or whether it adopts a private one uh, that's already on the market i would i would say that the state issues out the corporation like the rights to the corporation and then it's it's a private market currency. It's not owned by the state. So it'd be a partnership with a um, private entity that would be within the state and only the state, if that's what the state wants, or yes. also yes. multinational and, or no corporation whatsoever. Right. And, and the goal for this currency would be to help uh, lift up you know, entrepreneurs in the state. To help build, you know, service-based industry up, um, a way that they can move money around. I mean, think about it. All you know, hairdressers, people like that, they're all using those square cards and stuff like that. You know, if we can find a way to move money around a little bit easier for people, um, you know, and within the state. And look, what do the Democrats keep on trying to do? They keep on trying to influx money into the market, but it just inflates the money we already have this is kind of the same way of doing it but in a decentralized way and you're shifting the currency which is going to happen anyways um because well, look once the idea is out there and once people realize it's easier to have digital money than paper money that's where it's going to be you know so instead of fighting the fighting the powers that be you know by putting it in the state level it's like working out the bugs right and in that way when it, everything gets worked out we can move it up potentially as as we learn how to regulate it and stuff like that yeah. well, let, me, so, let me ask you a question like um how much how much cash do you have on you at the moment i mean ballpark figure like we uh the, the tooth fairy had to come to our house the other day and um it was we was realized that there was no quarters in the house and so uh, you know i had to, <laughs> so, I had to help him out that was a burglar i saw one at john's house that's, that's all i'm learning here <laughs> <laughs> you know i had to go to the i had to go to, to the store and like 
and take out 10 bucks um, so that I could have like the cash on hand to help out the tooth fairy. So um, you're talking about like digital money and you talk about square readers and stuff, but like, I would say our system is already very digital. So like, well, what's yeah. the, what is the problem that decentralizing it into a 50 banks would solve? And, and sort of the context for that is the purpose of money is to have a, some kind of common shared uh, source store of value that you can swap things out because the, the you know the, the key um, uh, illustration in every economics textbook is a guy has two bushels of wheat and he wants a cow so how do you transfer two bushels of wheat into like a quarter of a cow well you can use you can use uh, gold or something like that some kind of shared store of, of value that allows you exchange to, right yeah it's, it's, a medium yeah, exchange. it's an ease of of trading goods and services so yeah it's kind of like what what is the problem with the current medium exchange and then um is this going to facilitate trade or is it just going to make it harder where you have to convert your money into virginian dollars and then if you want to go to maryland you got to convert it back into u.s dollars and then back into maryland dollars like i, I would just kind of well so let me ask that question i'm gonna like, jump in sorry jim so th what you're talking about kind of, it already exists internationally, right? We have the um, exchange markets, right? Everybody who trades international, they settle in whatever currencies, right? Oil settled in dollars, unless you're in China or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I would I would actually challenge the premise of why would we want even state governments to issue currency? Um, they should, in my opinion, only say, hey, if you owe us taxes, we'll only accept A, B, and C currencies. Mm -hmm. However, if I'm buying, buying stuff from Jeff, if Jeff says I'll take California dollars or Virginia dollars, I get to pick as a consumer which one to pay him with that he'll accept. He doesn't have to say, I, I'm only going to, you know, I'm, I'm bound by Virginia currency requirements. Right. So that's where I'm coming from. I don't think we, we need to, to, give the government that kind of power over the actual money. Well, um, even if we're decentralizing from the federal reserve, which, you know, this, that's the cause of all the inflation. It's not corporate greed. It's, it's not, you know, stimulus checks as, as kind of the pundits are saying right now, it's, it's, it's always a monetary phenomenon, right? Inflation. Um, and they mismanage it so bad. And I don't, I don't think we need to um, have the government at all say, this is the currency every person should use beyond maybe recommendations, you know? Well, mm -hmm. So I would, I'm not saying that the government issues the currency. I'm saying that the government issues the rights to the corporation inside the state. And this is a, a fundamental understanding of corporations where they should live inside the state and they should do something for the state. Okay. And not outside, not in the federal realm, you know, try to get rid of the, the federal commercial or corporation right. structure. Right? right. And so if the, if the corporation can issue out the rights to it and it's limited, right. 10 years, 20 years, whatever it may be, we'd have to, you know, these are details we've got to iron out, but um, that currency has to be created. Like I'm thinking like a, you know, like, like a Bitcoin type thing, but some private business out there has to come up with the idea first. Um, but there has to be a reason for them to come up with the idea. They have to have a market for it. They have to have an opportunity for it. And the goal would be to use that currency inside the state to, 
you know, basically fund new startup corporations, you know, basically turning each state into its own little competitive, you know, structure to service their own people again. Um, you know, and the using that new currency could help fund all those new businesses. Well, I mean, how would it, I mean, how would a currency itself help fund, right? If currency literally just mean exchange, like, uh, you know, gold and silver, right? Why are they valuable? It takes effort, right? People right. die mining that stuff. Exactly. Um, and they're, they're big, rare. Bitcoin, too, right? like, Bitcoin they're not a... you know, someone created an algorithm, right? That's that's hard effort. I don't think anybody died making Bitcoin, but like, you know, someone put a lot of effort in to make that. Um, I mean... That's that's right. And, and you know... Yeah. What if what if people what if American citizens inside of states knew that if you put that type of effort into creating something, you could have an opportunity to have it as a currency inside your state? What you're doing is you're giving people the opportunity to create business, create, you know, something new. And I think that we need a I think we need a economic system that's not as intertwined as it is. I think it's it's dangerous. Um, you know, it was good in the past you know, help us get money all across the states. But I think that, you know, it's like a, a company that grows too big. Yeah, too I, I think what you're saying, I mean, I think I'm back to keeping it simple. Just open up that competition. Let each state say, we're going to accept whatever currency to pay us in tax. But whatever each company in within the state, an individual decides to use as, as currency, go, go out, go for it, you know, and have your proper structure to take care of fraud, things like that. You know, FTX, looking at you guys over there. Um, yeah. I'll yeah, let Greg the, Craig raising his hand. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, I finally figured out where the button was. <laughs> um, I mean, you, you mentioned FTX. Uh, that's a centralized exchange as opposed to a decentralized exchange um, on the crypto market. So there is a difference there, right? I can give recommendations for DEXs as opposed to sexes, as the, as the young people say. Um, but uh, there was a book I read, I'll just call it out, The Scandal of Money by George Gilder. Um, I believe it talks about this exact same thing. Um, and I, I think the, the fundamental problem with money or currency is that everyone wants to use their currency as the store of value, mm -hmm. uh, or they want to use that store of value to then use as currency, and it needs to be separate. So like if you use gold as the store of value, you shouldn't be able to uh, trade with it or buy things with it. it. And if you want to make Bitcoin the new gold, you shouldn't be able to just go and buy things with it. You should use some other form, whether it's Ether or, you know, Virginia bucks as. Uh, well, why not? Or... I'm curious to see why, if it's, if it's a store of value, why would, why is that? A good idea to say so, i'll trade you my value for so whatever if you have you a have. store of value then you use that store of value to then measure the the total value of each individual thing that is i'm, I'm not going to be able to word it properly but essentially if you're using something to say the value of x is this you can't then use that um in the system because you're changing the measuring stick you want the measuring stick to be objective external of the system right uh so right but using measuring against the store value i mean that that gives it that measurement and then saying i can trade you that many items of whatever unit 
you know, yeah, to get it. it, it I, it's, it's been a while since I read the book, but the, that was kind of the idea. I highly recommend reading the book, okay. and maybe I need to go back and reread it. But uh, the the main takeaway that I got from the from that particular book is whatever you're, you're using to measure or store the value of a thing, uh, it should be external of that thing, right? You take the measuring stick to measure the size of your table. You don't go, well, how big is the table and get another table to, to measure the table. Uh, it doesn't help. So, so um, in that, this currency thing that I wrote, um, it's, you know, it's about currency, it's about corporations. And I also put a little bit of tech in there. Um, and this, again, goes back to kind of trying to break down that federal corporation structure that we have, move it down to more of a state level like it used to be and make it limited. And I think it you, you're, you're fixing a couple problems here that we're facing as a country. Um, tech censorship is a big issue. If we, again, make these uh, the states issue the corporation rights out, new corporations are built inside of the states and they create their own you know, social media companies that can help help work out the bugs of all this issues, right? You know, if if maybe there's still going to be algorithms and there's still going to be censorship, but the people making those decisions will now live in the same state that you live in. You know, maybe there's a way to create a verification process if you want to be verified, where you can have an office, a couple offices inside your state where you can actually go and be like, hey, I want to be verified on you know, this social media platform and I can work with that. And, and, you know, I don't know, just some ideas personally, you know, I look at the internet has a lot of great tools. It can teach our children a lot of great things, but a lot of parents are afraid to allow their kids on the internet because even with the safeguards, you know, there's always ways to get around it. And the internet is just filled with toxicity. And, you know, we need to be able to find a way to allow our kids to use this you know, technology for good and without, you know, having them corrupted. And I think, you know, again, breaking down the structure, bringing it down to the state level and, you know, working through the bugs, you know, on a, a local level and, and regulation would be better. Yeah. I, I think that goes back to Craig's point though. Like at the, at the end of the day, you're all going to try to convert it to lowest common denominator. And I think that's the same thing with technology is you tend to pick the easiest thing. Like um, for example, the Google search engine is one of the better search engines and people tend to use it because they like it, but there's nothing preventing them from picking another search engine. I mean, there's lots, there's a bunch of other varieties, but it's just kind of, you go to the lowest common denominator that you think is going to solve your problem. And in this case, it's going to be, uh, if, you know, if it's not gold, um, as a lot of people try to go to, you know, or, or the U S dollar, um, or maybe Bitcoin or some other kind of coin. Like I think having so many different uh, coins or different tokens or different sources, stores of value, people are going to try to simplify their lives and go to the the lowest common denominator that they think will be as accessible as anywhere else. I mean, like um, you, we were talking about like uh, converting currencies across the country, like, um, you know, that used to all be species where it was gold and silver. And um, now there's kind of, I think there's baskets of currencies. And I think like the IMF helps manage that, but at the end of the day, you're, you're all trying to, the movement is towards the centralization in that aspect because it's easier. Well, I think, I mean, the goal here is to eventually have a new currency, right? You're going to break it apart and you're going to have a whole bunch right now and they're going to compete, but they eventually will become centralized again, right? It's just, you know, 
every hundred years you start over, right? You know what I mean? And as far as the economy and like, you just let that pendulum swim, swing back and forth. And, you know, I mean, that's, it's kind of nature uh, to a degree. Yeah. Uh, just one final point from my end on the, if, you know, if you have five, 50 different currencies and I know we just say 50, uh, it wouldn't necessarily be that the, the more uh, convoluted things can become uh, if, the pressure to uh, change that to make it more simple, uh, to simplify it, if that doesn't come before some corporation or some people get a really good idea on how to manipulate that system, uh, because the more convoluted it is, the more difficult it is for the average person to use that system. But you get 10 smart people in a room, now they're going to abuse that system, right? Um, the Forex markets are a great example of that. Uh, the FTX is another example of abusing that uh, exchange system. So yeah, just food for thought there. Yeah. Dan? Yeah. Um, I did have a question. I'm wondering um, how you would go about enforcing, or uh, how would you go about splitting up the currencies into 50 different states? Is it something you would have to I would, know, and enforce federally, or is it just an idea you'd, you'd put forth that would, you know, that, that would get adopted? I mean, I would say like, as far as like our group is concerned, we would probably work to iron out all the details of how currency inside our state would work. Then we would try to find somebody running for office, pitch it to them and see if they want to run on that platform, um, see if we can get it in the state house uh, somehow. Um, the, the goal isn't to create 50 new currencies in the United States. The goal is on a state level, what can we do to stimulate our economy? and fund small businesses without having to take money that has ties to New York and California and everywhere else where the money is siphoned outside of our state as opposed to left inside. You know, if we're going to, you know, again, trying to, you know, break down the corporate structure and fund the businesses, the local businesses inside of our own state with our own money and then pay the people inside our own state and keep the money there. You know, I noticed that a lot of hobbies nowadays are basically just like, stock gambling you know fantasy football is basically just that's what it is you know daily fantasy it's just it's you're just playing with money right people love to do this there's no reason we can't basically create that in our own state where people are playing with their money in investments but instead of investing in businesses they're never going to be able to see or touch they're inv investing in businesses inside of their own state okay and they're able to go visit and meet with the owners and understand what they're building so they can make better judgments on their investments. I wonder, I'm, I'm thinking about states that are economic powerhouses, but like New York, you know, what would the New York currency, I'm just, what, would that be the, the favorite default just because there's so much commerce done there already? And I mean, New York's going to hate the idea. Like, I mean, this, that, that weakens New York significantly. And I have no doubt that everybody in New York will hate the idea. But, you know, realistically is like they hold so much power in our country because of that financial network. And, you know, they're wielding that power across our country legislatively with the way they, you know, pass money through campaign finance and all that different type of stuff, you know, and it's shaped our, our country. And the whole idea is to break us back down into states and let us shape our own communities as opposed to being shaped from this corporate federal power from above. Yeah. But I mean, keep in mind, if we ever get to the point where, you know, it, it, it's decentralized that much, New York's Wall Street's going to be meaningless. They won't have well, that I mean, much 
power at all unless they change industries real quick to something else. I think that we've got a big enough country at this stage where you're going to you're going to keep a large financial corporate structure to oversee like a lot of things in the country. But then you create these smaller financial structures underneath of it and in inside the states to help build up, you know, smaller businesses and and more medium-sized corporations. Um and then over time those corporations will grow up and, you know, and you just you keep on flip-flopping. And like I said, it'll it'll grow and centralize, and then it'll have to be decentralized again in another you know hundred years or so. And uh, to Craig's chat question, well, not question, but telling us to brush some digital coins reminds me. Um, yeah, the Federal Reserve, for anyone who doesn't know, is right now piloting a, a central bank digital currency of their own. I think they have a twelve-week uh, <clears throat> pilot going on. Yeah, so centralized digital currency is on the way here in the U.S. I mean, China's already got one, I think, at least somewhat rolled out, if not 100%, and ours is coming shortly. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is like with any of these type of financial systems, when they're centralized, what it is is just you just have, as regular people, you have less access. You have less access to capital. You have That means less opportunity to smart, start, start small businesses. And, you know, I think that's a big problem with what's going on in our economy. Um, and so... You know, this just is just an idea. You know, it's not a set in stone. It's just a, a discussion at this point of how do we fix that? I mean, you you asked me on Halloween, Phil, like, how do we bring, um, you know, manufacturing back or or some manufacturing like where we're actually building something in the United States? And I think the uh, the the answer to that is find a way to fund entrepreneurs where they can actually afford to do it. Um, because with the the structure that we have now, real estate is out of control, depending on where you live, to be able to put a business in. And you're fighting through red tape and regulation by that's been written by corporations and governments. So, Yeah, that, I remember asking that. That was most rhetorical. <laughs> One, get your input in, too, to push out. Yeah, it's so much red tape that I don't even know about. And you're 100% right. It's it's written by, to circle back to one of our original topics in this podcast, is um, lobbyists right who have their own interests to keep their company number one and and crush competition through regulation um you know lower the cost of doing business is, is the way to go for that all right so i'm up i brought you guys up topic you can uh, roll back in no that's fine that's fine i do that a lot i just ramble john's the one that pulls me in yeah, um, i'll do so Let's see here. We do. We need to set our dates for our January, February, and March meeting. Are you guys prepared to do that? Yeah, I'm good. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a call for, uh, January twenty first. January. <clears throat> Does that work for everybody else? I think so. Yeah. Let me check yeah. my calendar. I'm good. What is that? That is Saturday, John. Yes, Saturday. Um. And I'm going to propose the maybe five to seven if we want to do dinner because you mentioned Giuseppe's, but I think the four to six is a nice time. Although, you know, maybe not because sometimes. Yeah, four to six is probably good. The sun's going out really early right now. So I think that four to six is better. Yeah. And then if people want to stay for dinner, right, they can come, they can mm -hmm. stay afterwards. Um, yeah. I haven't asked, uh, I haven't talked to them yet. I would like to do it at Giuseppe's. It's a local restaurant that I, I, I literally go there at least once a week. It's delicious. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I just like to support 
good places that have good food and <laughs> all right february John, oh, my wife is expecting um the baby february 9th so okay so so uh you're gonna have a rough time getting to the meeting at all in february right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the 18th is president's day weekend so that's not the best so 25th yeah that's open for me. 25th? Uh, when's uh, Valentine's Day? The, the 14th. 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 Okay. Married people don't celebrate that anymore. <laughs> How dare you, Jeff? <laughs> you need a day to tell me you love me. No, I'll do that on my own. All right, so we've got February 25th, um, March... What do we got, guys? I think Saturday twenty fifth. I'm happy with the we had last year with the every last Saturday of the month. It makes <laughs> sense to me. Do you just want to roll that through the whole year, John? Or that didn't work out for us at the end of the year? It was it was kind of weird. Um, I don't know. I mean, like I well, feel like maybe every Saturday is bad. I know the twenty fifth is bad for me on in March. Okay. Um, so I was if we did the eighteenth, we could do like a joint birthday party for Danny. Yeah, it's my birthday. <laughs> um, so I was thinking that we should schedule, like, let's schedule our first six. That way we can get some, like, cards done out, some advertising and stuff like that, and get them marketed so and put them on the event page, the first six. And then we can pick the, the last six later because, you mm -hmm. know, things change and whatnot, and it'll allow us to be a little bit more adaptable in our schedule. So... Um, does the 18th work for anybody, everybody, nobody? In March? March. Yeah, in March. The, the day after St. Patrick's Day? Works for me. <laughs> I mean, you'll have, you'll have multiple hours to recover. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I'm still different. young, but I can't speak for everyone. I mean, I don't, I'm, uh, I'm old enough where alcohol bothers me the next day, but I'm so old that i don't even bother to drink so <laughs> I, I mean it's just that same weekend as saint patrick's day you know um not everyone may be available depending on what they've got going on yeah i mean anybody else have an issue with the weekend no, i don't i'm good yeah i'm just i'm just gonna ignore saint patrick's day you know it's not that i have anything against the irish or drinking it's just you know people will come you know like if you build it they will come it doesn't really matter what day we just our goal is to put out a product where they want to be there even hungover okay <laughs> all right so march 18th uh let's roll into april april what do we got uh i mean 22nd I mean, if you want to do the third saturday except for our one in uh, february i think that seems like a good at least for me. What day is that? 22nd. It's also Earth Day. Could do an Earth Day joint. The 22nd. Celebration. Okay. Uh, April, May. So we got May and June. What do you got? Um, so the 27th would be bad in May. That's the last that's, uh, Saturday because that's Memorial Day weekend. That would be Memorial Day weekend. So what about the Saturday before that? The 20th. That would work. That work for everybody else. Uh, my uh, my brother in law is scheduled to get married that week. Well, uh, tell him to change so, it. 
Priorities. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, at least for me, it'll be hard to do May because um, I'll want to turn it into a longer trip to visit my family in Wisconsin. Okay. So, yeah, I, I, I guess, yeah. But, uh, so, I'm is there another sure weekend in May that works for you or no? Um, I mean, the, uh, the first or second will probably work better. What about you guys? Like, like maybe six or yeah, 13. Yeah, those will work. So, Thirteenth is spread about. Thirteenth probably the, because then we're talking the sixth is like two weeks. Yeah, crazy. yeah, no, I mean we need time in between the meetings. So yeah, the thirteenth yeah. will work. All right, June. All right, June. What do we got for June? So I think if you did the seventeenth, that would be around the time school ends, and that would be before people go on vacation. Or if since we're doing uh, it, uh, that's Father's two weeks weekend. Oh, okay. No one cares um, about fathers, anyways. We do in this group. <laughs> I mean, we, we do, do but... <laughs> we do, and, and I'm going to talk about that in, here in a minute, actually. But let's let's get this. So, what uh, what weekend did we just settle on? I mean, if you went to the tenth, the tenth. What's the weekend after Father's Day weekend? Twenty fourth. Do you think that's too late? Now, John had a good point. That's kind of that could be vacation week for a lot of folks. I mean, June, yeah, with school getting out, Father's Day, we 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 dicey we, no matter what weekend we choose. Yeah, um, I mean, I'd like Father's Day weekend. I I don't know. Would I like to be doing this on Father's Day weekend, or would I like to be like doing nothing? But somehow, I've I've. I'll still end up being doing this. So, I mean, it doesn't really bother me to do it on Father's Day weekend. What about you guys? <laughs> I'm okay with the 17th. I think, we're, I think we'll probably lose more people to vacation than to Father's Day weekend. I mean, I think we can actually market it as a Father's Day event and maybe get like have a whole like for that whole month. Like we we boost it and be like dads, you know, and just have a whole room of testosterone. <laughs> founding right. Father's Day. Oh, yeah. see, we got a name, Founding Father's Day. There we go, seventeenth. All right, I love it. Okay, so we got our first six meetings on the books. We need to create that calendar. Um, who's going to take charge of like some of these tasks here? Just put your name in beside something that you want to work on, okay, on this Google Drive. You don't have to do it now. Just do it sometime, okay? I'll work on that. All right. Craig, what are you writing here? The what? Oh. I'm I'm looking at the chat on the side, you know. I'm missing all the the notes, so. Uh, I think uh, I didn't see that either, Craig. I think you're uh, salty about that. Uh, oh, I can't think of the Boondock Saints holiday. Why can't I remember <laughs> the name right now? I just watch no Boondock no Saints once a year, and that's it. St. <laughs> Patrick's Day. Shut up, Craig. You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> I just watch Boondock Saints. That's my St. Patty's Day. Uh, um, so we need to really like start to engage our local circles. 
Um, and we need to start to get people um, signed up. So recommend the podcast and the Substack, right? Each one of you, I think the three of you guys, uh, John not included, uh, have written articles and sent them to me and I haven't posted any of them, but they are very good. Um, and I got to get back with you guys on a few things because, but I'm just very slow. I've got a lot of things going on, but that's going to be a focus of mine over the next few weeks because I want to make that um, that podcast an opportunity uh, for people in the community to have, have a say. So, you know, other people that have ideas that they want to, you know, put it out, you know, they should have a place. Um, and then it can be a way that we can connect with the community. You know, like I said, um, that's the one thing I've been getting a lot in when I'm out and about is people come up to me and they're like, Hey, I, I read that article you wrote about your wife. I like that article. That was awesome. I, I read that article you wrote about the history of political violence. That was interesting. I didn't know that type of stuff, you know, and just in, and continue to engage them. Um, think of it like a, like a small business. Um, I joined a, a small business group locally and I just, that's how I advertise. And uh, we just need to collect email addresses and phone numbers and then, you know, act like a party and start to text and call them and tell them when they show up. Um, but the difference is we're not going to ask for their money and we're not going to ask, we're not going to tell them to go knock doors. We're just going to, we're going to give them something of value. Um, the way that I found to connect with people is just find people like me. I look for dads. I look for people that read. I look for people who are engaged, who care about other people and just start conversations with them and then invite them out. Um, so. Yeah. And just a quick thought here. We could also I mean that at some point we could host events, host debates between candidates or whatever. So, you know, so-and-so versus so-and-so hosted by Madison Republicans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, like and, that. and we, and we need to be thinking that way. And, and I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, colleges uh right now i've got uh two people i've met on twitter now one of them i've talked to about the madisonian the other one i haven't but i've got a meeting just to like get to know the guy he goes to uva um i'm driving down there in december the other one goes to uh university of florida you know i have found through twitter there are a lot of really smart conservative minds out there they're they're well spoken they're well written and um, I think helping to cultivate that, blending it with what we've got going on and reaching a, a different generation um, is really important. So these are things that if, if anybody knows somebody at Mason, like get us in, you know, uh, a political science major or something um, that's on campus that wants to start a group, we can either they can start the group and we can come on and put a meeting on or maybe we can help organize the group. I'm not sure yet, but uh, we need to. Be looking for that because that's the college closest to us yeah i like it liberty and mason perfect um and if anybody else that the, out there listening in the community if you got anything that you want to help come on come help it's okay <laughs> just reach out send an email this is uh you know this is for us Jeff, where, where do they send that email I would, you know, does anybody want to take uh, responsibility for setting that type of stuff up? This is, look, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, as far as these are some of my weakest spots as a leader, like, I don't like to organize. I don't like to do any of that stuff. I always have other people do it in my relationships. Um, my wife handles all that type of stuff. If she creates the structure, I'll fill in the blanks. Um, but I, 
you know, I don't do a great job otherwise. Um, and I'm not great at follow-up. I'm a read a book and talk type of guy. So, <laughs> so I raise my hand. I will roll with uh, some kind of CRM tool, try to find out what I can, something, something, you know, feasible that works. I'll start with Craig's idea of proton mail. I've recognized that um, service, the name of it, at least. So I can start there and it will create an official email account for the group um, or a domain, I should say, that we each can have our own or the leadership can have their own emails underneath um, shared calendars and things like that we can we can work on. Yeah, and I did. I'll I did start purchase the domain. Uh, hmm? I What's purchased that? the domain already for a uh, an email yeah. or website. I just purchased a domain. Okay. Yeah, just so we have it. Um, so uh, we can. I don't know how these things work. I just know that you have to purchase it before somebody else buys it and then sells it back to you at a higher rate. Mm -hmm. That's right. So yeah, I, thank you, Craig. I wrote that other suggestion down. You text. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. Send that in the uh, our group chat separate um that's fine we'll check it out yeah right. i'll take uh, i'll take that up and start looking into things okay great um so and then we will you know there'll be different types of events we'll have to do next year as well uh we'll need to in our next meeting maybe put the put a calendar event for like you know farmers markets, stuff like that, where we can go and just like hand out, you know, stuff, meet with people, tell them about the meetings and stuff like that um, would be really helpful. If you need to buy a booth there, I can, can bring some eggs. We can pretend to sell. I mean, I have eggs I, I can't sell, but if they require a booth, right, we could fake some stuff. I have some decoy eggs out. <laughs> And, and we'll have to figure this out, but I mean, I do plan to fundraise, right? When I say like, we're not going to ask people for money, we're not going to ask people just to give money. Like we're going to sell them a product just like the PACs do, right? Like that's how the PACs fundraise all the candidates. They sell them a product. They sell them a hat with a, you know, a nice little slogan on it, or they sell them a t-shirt that tells them where to go vote. You know, we'll sell them things like that, but we're going to sell them, you know, properly designed, cool looking you know, question-based Y435 swag, you know, and uh, basically the idea is to create a brand um, and use that to, uh, you have fancy dyed eggs with Y435. You're distracting me, Craig. Um, <laughs> no, my, I have organic eggs, sir. They're not going to be that pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, yeah, I mean, we can, we can do that. And, you know, again, we need to find creative ways to, to fund ourselves. Um, you know, like I, I was telling Craig the other day, if we are, if we're going to be successful over the long term, realistically, the leadership team is going to have to quit their jobs, which means somehow we're going to have to make money some other way. Um, and like I said, it's just time. That's what, that's what it takes to be a really great leader is the time to study and understand the problems and then to be able to speak to people and communicate with them. So we'll, uh, we got to figure that out, but with every problem, there's a solution, and I have, I feel confident that we can figure it out. And it sounds like we're going to wrap here soon, but I do want to put out there um, to dampen the mood. Uh, I want I want to keep in mind. I mean, the more we grow, there's a huge potential for bad actors to show up. So we need to be prepared for that and and start brainstorming how we want to deal with people who might want to join up for the wrong reasons. 
right? Yeah. Um, it's pretty common, and I'm sure Jeff, you and John know some of the politic movement. Um, it's the libertarian movement had the same problem. I remember it every years ago from Ron Paul, I think 2012 campaign, his security guy was like, we seriously did consider if, if the um, campaign gained traction to stop taking planes and, and to drive places and, and because they knew that certain groups in the government did not want those movements and then a movement like this to grow and really get hold. That's a real thing to consider. Yeah, I mean, my philosophy on that type of stuff is I can't control other stuff, but I can be as respectful and as honest as possible. And I can try to communicate that to as many people as possible to make sure that they are doing the same. And if we run into a situation like that, we have to handle it when we get there. You know, I think there should be as far as like locally, you know, maybe people will want to join up that are maybe a little bit more radical than what we're looking for. There has to be a way to you know, more than anything, just communicate with them. I mean, I've, yeah, like th those are my worry about because those, like you said, if you're just open with, with people in movement, they'll shake out kind of on their yeah. own. Yeah. Right. It's the ones that join up with that pretend, you know, I'm interested, I want to help in some way, and they're sabotaging, right? On purpose. Well, you right, know, usually they're so in it for the I don't think we're not even close to that, so we don't need to really yeah. throw this all the way, but it's just keep the back of our heads as we talk about managing social media accounts. Uh, just managing larger groups of people like these things we have to kind of start considering that as as the group grows oh yeah no absolutely i mean we'll d definitely have to to vet people if we're going to give them you know res responsibility or power right um but uh you know i think at the beginning it'll be kind of easy because the people that are going to want to come are going to be like they're going to have to put in work and they're not going to get paid for it they're just going to be straight volunteers they're going to be people that are passionate and you know I, like I said earlier, I will look for dads. I look for family oriented people, people like us, people like me. And, uh, you know, I found that it works because I found you guys and, <laughs> you know, that's the goal. So. John, do you got anything for our meeting here? No, I, I think, um, I think this has been good so far. Good show, Jeff. I'll listen to it. Oh, you'll listen to that. I hope the sound comes out okay because, you know, this is all new for me and I, you know. All right. So we had a nice little discussion about currency and decentralizing the whole economic system, taking power away from major corporations. And we got some stuff done as well. This was a pretty good show. Lots of dead space at the end there, John. It's been oh, a long meeting. Okay. Well, so uh, typically at the end of our shows, uh, John and I do like a little parenting sub, uh, thing. I got two little stories that I want to share with you today. And since we're on uh, Zoom, let me grab this one. So <clears throat> yesterday I had my twins birthday party, which was a huge success, but also a disaster because my wife invited both classes. They're in separate kindergarten classes and she invited 60 kids to the party and we had to cut off invitations and we had like 20 22 rsvps but um my grandmother came and she brought me this book it's fraud in politics this was written by joseph bristow he was a senator in kansas now this is significant because she called him uh she called him family now he's not actually family he's not actually related to me but i found out today 
that my great grandmother lost her father and um, the Bristows lost their father as well. And their grandfather, who was Joseph Bristow, took in basically both families and raised them together. And that that was my great grandmother. And so uh, my grandmother was really good friends with Joseph uh, Bristow's uh granddaughter actually lived with my grandmother for a while she left this book behind this is a copy of his book he worked in the mckinley administration which i'm reading about right now i think it's one of the most uh important elections in united united states history and what he did in the mckinley administration was he worked on the fraud in the post office that was created by jackson's populist movement originally, where they started to utilize the post office, which was basically the communication mechanism of the country as a, a political tool to control what people, you know, saw and thought. Um, so he was working on that. At the same time, uh, Mark Hanna was working with big business, reshaping how uh, political campaigns would be going forward. But I found it really interesting that my grandmother brought me this. I called her today. I had a great conversation. She's a huge Trump supporter. We've had many arguments in the past, but it was great to have like a very civil debate. Um, she said, Jeff, I just don't think anything can change. These Democrats, they just, they, they've made up their mind and it's just, it's, it's, it's not worth trying. And I said, well, grandma, you know, I think that if you treat people with respect and you work on them on an individual level, you can change minds. And one by one, as you change more minds, more will change, you know? And she goes, oh, you know, I guess that's a good way. And I go, yeah, I got to have a little bit more optimistic view. I'm a lot younger than you and I have children and I want them to live, grow up in a, in a safe, safe society. <laughs> so, you know, I find that uh, the, the optimism is, is more at the younger level than the older level, but <laughs> John, do you have any parenting stuff? No, but I, I think being optimistic is a virtue a Republican virtue that is uh, so missing in our our politics, where people want just take everything negatively. And um, I mean, I, I think of like the midterm results. Like it, some people maybe didn't get the results they wanted, and it's just kind of like, oh, can you believe it? And you just say, like, let's look at maybe what went wrong or what we can improve on, and and work from there and try to make it better. Um, so I'm all about optimism. I'm hopelessly optimistic. <laughs> Yeah, you got you got to be if you're trying something this hard. Uh, do you guys have any parenting stuff, Phil? Dan, you're almost a parent, right? I mean, it's not you're not really carrying that the workload yet, but <laughs> right. But I mean, well, um, thinking about it, yeah, I have you know, th yeah, th th I have a stake in the future now. Um, you know, you know, you know, assuming that our daughter goes born, everything goes well, uh, and yeah, I I want her to live in a in a world that. You know, she can live in a self-governing republic. She can be a, a citizen. Um, and so I really have, you know, I guess I, I, I guess I have nothing to lose and everything to gain by trying. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's it. That's why we that's why Americans were allowed to like own property. You gave you a stake in the country. So you'd want to work for it. You know, uh, we kind of gotten away from that a little bit, but having children is a reminder, you know, like, Hey, you got to work for this. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a good episode guys. Thank you for joining us. Um, so be in touch. If you're out there listening, we'll, we will, uh, 
we'll be setting up some Facebook accounts and some email stuff, you know, technology stuff. I don't really like to do. We'll be getting it out there to you. Uh, we got the podcast and the Substack. Please subscribe. Um, I'd like to get to 100 subscribers by the end of the year. That would be fantastic. So recommend us, share us. Um, peace and love.